Resurrection is one of the most phenomenal gifts that God gives us. I mean, God gives us a lot of awesome gifts. But to think that even though we die, we will live. To think that we will live in all eternity with God our creator is mind-boggling. It is an amazing gift that God has given us. And the thing that comes to my mind as I think about resurrection, I think about eternity, for a long time, I've wondered, what is that going to be like? You know, what, what's that going to look like? What are we going to do? When I was in, I think about seventh grade, our youth pastor was talking to us about heaven, and he asked us, so if you could, if you could design heaven how you wanted to, what would it be like? And for me, I said, well, if it's a never-ending baseball game. I mean, you know, that I can't think of anything more fun than playing baseball all the time. And I don't remember how he responded, but I'm pretty sure he said to me, that's not going to be it. But my question has been for a long time, so what is it going to be? Are, are we going to sort of sit on clouds? Are we going to sit back in lounge chairs and just sort of, you know... What are we going to do? I think, as a part of worshiping God, we're going to work. I think we're going to do things. I think we're going to accomplish things. I think that because in many ways, what the picture we get of, of eternity and the kingdom, as Jesus, when Jesus ushers in the kingdom, it really is the fulfillment, the, the reestablishment of creation and all that God intended and more. And when you look back at the creation story, you find that, that God gets to the end of the sixth day and he, he says, it's very good, and he finishes. But to say that God finishes creation doesn't mean that creation is done. I think God, God did everything he intended to do. God created everything he intended to create in the way that he intended to create it. But when you get to the end of that, He says to Adam and Eve, now, go to work. God's already created all of it. And he still says to them, go to work. And they do. It's not enough that the earth and the garden nourishes them. They're responsible for taking care of the garden. They are not, as someone said, they're not just just formed from the earth, but they are formed for the earth. They are formed to work and to do and to accomplish and to continue creating. And that was sort of a new concept for me because I always envision work as part of the curse. <laughs> you know? And, and we sort of talk about it that way sometimes. Hey, you want to go, you go see a movie? No, I got to work. Right? You, you want to go do this? No, I have to work. Are you off this weekend? No, I have to work. Right? I mean, we, we talk of it in terms of it, it's, a, it's a curse on us. And, and there's something in the back of my mind, at least, is thinking, well, you know, leisure, that's what I want to live for, not work. And to think that, that you know, that, that work is a part of God's eternal plan is sometimes a little bit hard to grasp. And then I realize that it, work really is a gift of God. 
I mean, yes, there are times where work doesn't feel like that. It's hard, and it's difficult, and, it, and it's a struggle. But aren't most good things? And then we get to the end. You know those days you get to the end of work, and you're tired, and you're worn out, but there is a sense of fulfillment that you have accomplished some things that you wanted to accomplish. Or maybe you work with some people, and, and all of a sudden the light bulb has come on for them because of things that you're trying to teach them or work with them. Or maybe at what you do, you're building something, and, and you see progress, and it feels good to, to, to be able to do that. And really, when you talk about work, what we're really talking about is creating, recreating, restoring, redeeming. We're talking about making things better. And that's a gift from God. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, let me handle all of it. I'll take care of it. You just go about your stuff and and I'll do all the work for you. And you just sit back and relax. But honestly, what kind of an existence would that be? And so I think when we get to, I think in eternity, we're going to work. And I think we're going to do all kinds of work. I think we're going to run the gamut of work. All kinds, depending on our gifts and our abilities and what we love to do. I think we're going to do all of that stuff. The one thing that worries me about, about eternity is, is there going to, I mean, there's going to be a need for a whole lot of different kinds of jobs. I've been wondering, is there a need for preaching? And that makes me a little bit nervous. You know, it reminds me of the cartoon I saw the guy who's, who's up in heaven and clouds, and he's holding up the sign, John 3.16. You know how you see that sometimes at sporting events, you know, behind home plate or the goal post or behind the basket? And the guy next to him says, hey, you don't have to do that here. We're okay. And, and I, I sort of wonder about that, and then I realize, no, because I think there will be no end in eternity to learning about who God is and learning about ourselves, because that is not a curse either. It's just the reality that learning is a joy. You know those moments when, you, when you're reading something, someone's talking to you, and all of a sudden the light goes on? Those are some of the best moments in all the world. And I think that will be a lot of what happens in eternity. We're going to learn. Because if we get, to, we get to eternity, come to the new heaven and the new earth, and, and we establish ourselves, and all of a sudden we know everything there is to know, part of the issue is we'll be God. And I don't think that's going to happen. But there's great joy in learning and in creating and doing. And really what we're talking about is living eternally, bearing the image of God. Eugene Peterson says the first first picture we get of God is God working. In the beginning, God worked. In the beginning, God created And he kept on creating and continued to create. And he's still creating and working. It is the nature of who God is. Jesus says, he says, my father is always working. And I'm working too. It is a part of the nature of God to do, to be active, to work. Years ago in seminary, I read this tremendous book by G. Ernest Wright. It was just, the title is called The God Who Acts. The God who does things. And it's in contrast to all the pagan gods who, who don't do anything. But our God is active. He's at work. 
He is creating and restoring and redeeming and transforming. And it's in his nature to do those things. And Genesis says we're created in the image of God. And one of the ways in which we reflect the image of God is to do things, to work. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. We get to do what God does. And that's why I think when we think about the things that we do now, whether you call it work or you call it using your gifts or whatever it is that you call it, the things that we do now are always a catalyst for the flourishing of God's creation. Whatever that may be, that's human beings. Our our work, what we do, has something to do with making people's lives better, with with drawing people into an understanding of who they are as children of God. we're, We're trying to help people exist in a way that is more productive, more fruitful. It is... um. It's what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 4 that we read. He's beginning his ministry. And he comes to Nazareth and he says, here's what it's about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the captives, to to, uh, set free those who are oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Flourishing. And all of Jesus' ministry is continually about helping people flourish as loved beings, loved children of God. And all of our work for God, in one way or another, our work is is a catalyst for making that happen. And sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes uh, we it's overt, sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes we think about what we're doing and we have to search a little bit to see how what we're doing helps other people. But I guarantee you, it does more than we realize. But it's not just about individual people. It's the bigger picture of making the world a better place. Of the flourishing of all that God has made and all that God designs it to be and our culture and and our society and and the existence of, of all that is our world. We are part of our work is to make that a better place, a flourishing, to experience who God is and to see what Jesus is describing here in Luke 4. One of the, that, that's why justice is often a part of our work. You know, the, the thing that we're continually combating is evil. And, and one of the things that happens in our work is, is that we are combating the evil that is present in the world. And every time we do something that is good, it doesn't matter if everyone in society thinks it's valuable. If it's good... If it's an act of creating, if it's an act of, of transforming and renewing and redeeming and restoring, anything we do like that, anything that helps the world and people be a better place, we are striking a blow against evil. Because evil is all about destruction. And we're trying to, to turn that around. 
to be a small catalyst for that happening. And so often, it will be things like justice. What we see, in, for instance, in Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity on the streets of Calcutta, but a lot of other things, a lot of things that we don't even think about. Just making the world, making people's lives, making, making the places where we live and interact and beyond a little bit better, a little bit more good brought to those things. And it'll, I think it will be beauty. I think that we, we do things to make the world uh, see and experience the beauty of God. And, and sometimes that's through uh, forms of art that we, that we look at or we listen to or we engage in. But, but often it is reversing the evil in our world. So that even, a, even the simple acts of, of picking up trash off the ground. Or assisting someone who's having a difficult time. Or, or taking, taking flowers to someone who doesn't get to see them. All of those things are a way of bringing beauty into people's lives and into the world. And every time we do that, however small those things may be, we are striking a blow against the destructiveness of evil. And it's good. I mean, think about all the things that God creates. I mean, so much of it is unnecessary. I mean, why do we need... You know, thousands of different kinds of plants and and birds and insects and animals. Because God loves to create stuff. And because God loves variety and because God loves beauty. And we do too. And of course, it's... Our work is also leading people and societies and culture to see who Jesus is. You know, we're continually thinking about, about how we how we represent Jesus and helping that through our work, through our activity, through the things that we do, that people will will see Christ in us and be drawn to him, that they might know the transforming grace in their lives as we have. But all of these things are not separated from each other as if one's good and one's not or one's better or one's best. It's all an integrated, holistic perspective of what we do. All of it, helping the world flourish and people to see Jesus. Now, the hard thing for us, I think, is that because sin has entered the picture, it skewed our perspective about work. We read this, this uh, story from, the, from Genesis 3. And what we discover is that, that while Adam and Eve were working, after, after the fall... Now, when they work the ground, it fights back. And we live our lives in this sense of work fighting back at us. And what's happened, what happens because of this is that we get a skewed view of work. And so we have a world in which we need to talk about justice because there's so much injustice. We, have, we live in a world where, where we're trying to, to, to bring good because there's so much evil. And there are so many people and circumstances who, through the, the, the work and, quite frankly, some of the creative energies of people, that they're doing destructive things 
instead of things that lead to flourishing. And Scripture is filled with with all kinds of places where God is warning Israel and others, look, this is not what you're intended to do. You can't treat vulnerable people like that. You can't treat the poor like that. You can't treat anybody like that. You can't treat the earth like that. You can't treat what I've made like that because we are tempted to do so. But I suspect that our our struggle with with the the, the warped sense of work is really not so much that we are we're, we're going to take jobs that are harming people, but rather the kind of perspective of work that believes it can do for us what only God can do. Think about Exodus chapter one. And the Israelites are in Egypt, and this chapter 1 begins to tell us about their enslavement and how poorly, terribly treated they are. And it talks about how they have to work there as slaves. But that's not the only way in which work enslaves us. When we begin to think that work is going to get us what only God can, we are enslaved to work. When our motivation for work, when our purpose for work is so that we can get more. So that we can, we can have more. So that we can, we can be more famous or we can have more influence or we can have more power. Things that quite frankly often are the result of work. But when those things become the reason we work, we are enslaved to work. Our perspective is skewed. And so that's when we start talking about people who are workaholics. Because if those are your goals, if that's your dream, if that's your desire, if that's where you're headed with your work, then you won't stop until you have everything you want. And the truth is, you never get all that you want. Because those things can't fulfill us. Only God can. And so we will continue to fight and push and manipulate and take advantage of people and cut corners and, and, and do things that we shouldn't do because we're trying to get to these things that we think will bring us fulfillment. And they never do. They're always short. It's in, it's in, though, in, the, in that struggle that that I think we often, we often are wrestling not just with those things fulfilling us, but as a part of that, how we value the different things that we do on this earth. And work becomes very self-focused. When you think about eternity, there won't be any self-focused work in eternity. Nothing we do will be self-focused. It will all be done to glorify God. It will all be done with the right motives and the right intent. Which is why we don't have to worry about our work in eternity being manipulative of people. Or hurting people or taking advantage of people. Because the whole playing field will be different. But I think sometimes one of the reasons we struggle here is because not only does, is our view of what work can do for us skewed, but also how we place value on work gets skewed. 
our culture, our society tells us this kind of work is valuable and this kind of work, man, not so much. And the truth is we do that in the church too. It's sad, but we do. We do it in the church. We put value on, on different kinds of things that we do in the church. And, and subconsciously, if nothing else, we say, well, that's more valuable than that is. But the reality is often the only reason anybody can do this is because people are doing this. It's just the reality of life. I, I think about what Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 12, and he says, he uses the body as a metaphor for the church. And he says, you know, there are parts of our bodies that are, that are visible, parts of our bodies that are invisible. There are parts of our bodies that we treat with honor and parts of our bodies that we don't treat with honor. But he said, you, if you don't have all of it, it's pretty hard to be the kind of body that you're supposed to be. And then he says, and the parts that we give less honor actually ought to have the most honor. Because they're doing what they're doing without any recognition. And we think, ah, oh, we can get along with that. Right? We can't. And so as we think about what we do, often we place value judgments on the different things that we do. And it's It's harmful. It's one of the reasons why we tend to be people who scratch and claw to get to something that we think is better. But the reality is it doesn't matter what we do. And I'm not just talking about things we get paid for either. You know, none of this is just things that we get paid for. Because there are lots of things that we do that are vital and important to the flourishing of God's creation. And we don't get a cent for it. But that's okay. And so sometimes uh, we're and sometimes we're in a position where you know, we think, okay, I'm in a job that I don't like. I'm doing something I don't want to do. I dislike it. Maybe even you hate it. And so we have really two options. Find something else to do, and we often don't do that because it's such a risk to do it, but maybe God might be prompting us to that. Or the other thing is we start saying, Lord, help me to see you in the midst of what I'm doing and to change my perspective about it. Because it's valuable what I'm doing, even if it's not exactly what I'd like to be doing. And sometimes we're in positions of life where we can't do anything about what we're doing. Maybe because of the situation of our family. Maybe the situation of, of, of people in our lives that we're responsible for. Maybe because of the, the, the point in life where we've, we've stepped aside from, from having a job in which we get paid. And now we're in a, in a stage of life where we're sometimes, we, you know, we talk about being retired. It doesn't mean that we stop being catalysts for flourishing in the earth. In fact, sometimes those are the hardest places because we're not getting recognition. We're not, people aren't coming to us and saying, wow, that's so great what you're doing. And even in our culture, often, we will, people will speak disparagingly of stay-at-home parents. And you, sometimes I've heard people say, well, oh, you do that, oh, you don't work. Anybody been a stay-at-home parent? I'm telling you, that's, a hard, that's hard work. Maybe more work than the places where you go to get paid. And the responsibility of being there and taking care of our most valuable resource, children. You think about, talking earlier about the inserts about children's church and nursery. I think one of the reasons we struggle to find people to staff those ministries is because 
subconsciously, we don't really think they're all that important. And I'm not saying that we wouldn't say that because I think we all value children. But in the end, maybe for some of us, we're not doing it because I've got more important things to do. It's hard for me to imagine anything more important than nurturing the faith of our little children. You think about people in this world who commit atrocious crimes and and people who, you know, are at the forefront of injustice in our world. I have a feeling, I'm pretty confident of this, if you trace their life back to when they were little, they went through some horrific experiences. And it's created the kind of person they are. And I think if you thought about people that you admire and respect, people who are bringing lots of good to the earth, if you, took, if you went back in their life, I'm pretty sure you would find an upbringing, whether it was, whether it was a spirit in a church or not, but an upbringing of love and compassion and nurturing. And that shaped them. We all can look back at our lives and people who've shaped us and we give thanks for that. Whatever we do, and maybe you don't even remember the names of the people who have shaped your life. But they're valuable. They're important. And it's good work. Whatever it is that we do. What I want us to hear is that whatever we do, whatever we're doing in the world, to be productive, whether it's for somebody else so that they can be productive or whether it's overtly productive and everyone can see it, whether it's behind the scenes or in front of people, whether it's a job that you think culture and society respects or not, none of that really matters because Paul writes to the Corinthians, chapter 15, and talking all about resurrection. And he gets to the end of it and he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, whatever you do, For the Lord is not in vain. It's not useless. And I don't think he means by that things that we call overtly spiritual. But it's it's doing what we do and saying, Lord, it's yours. When Jesus gets to the end of his life, before he's arrested in the garden praying, he says, Lord, I've done the work you asked me to do on earth for your glory. And, and that's what it comes back to. And I don't think that work is just the 12, 24 hours of that night or even that week or even the three some odd years that he was in public ministry. I think it's all the 30 some years he lived. All of it was done for the glory of God. And God was glorified in all of it. We don't know much of anything about what Jesus was doing from the time he was a little boy to when he first appeared on the scene as a, as a, as a rabbi and a teacher. But whatever he was doing was for the glory of God. And when he says, I came to do what you asked me to do for, the, for your glory, it's all of that. I was reading a book recently and they're talking about um, our work. And the author said something to the effect of, even though we acknowledge we're not God, we're representatives of God. 
And as representatives of God, our calling is to play God. He said, I know that sounds strange, to play God, but that is our calling. I'm serious about that. And he said, the reason for that is because when you watch a little child playing, what do you almost always see them doing? Imitating an adult. We did it when we were children. We've seen our children or other people's children do it. We've watched it. Children imitate adults. And really, as God's children here, we're called to imitate God. And like children, to do it, not worrying about the results, not being driven by something bigger, better, but just enjoying the privilege of doing what we're doing in the moment as God's children. And so rather than seeing work as a, as a burden, it's a gift. And we give thanks. And as we come to this table this morning, we come in a spirit of thanksgiving. Recognizing that God has given us all kinds of gifts. And one of those gifts is the ability to do things. To have a part to play in, in, in being a catalyst for the flourishing of God's people and all of God's creation. And to bring glory and honor to God in doing just that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of creating and doing and transforming and renewing, restoring. Help us to see. Help us to see you pleased with whatever it is we are doing to be catalysts for the flourishing of your creation. Lord, as we come to this table, we pray that you will pour out your blessing on the bread and the cup, that as we eat and drink, we may know the power of the risen Christ in us, in every part of our being, and sense the anointing of your Spirit on all that we do every day. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen.